Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you are well, and I pray that you are off to a good and holy and blessed Advent. And if you've been struggling, don't you worry. Uh, the, we, we, you know, the old the old expression is we we don't fail by falling; we fail by not getting up. So. It's not too late for you to have an Advent wreath and for you to light the first candle of Advent with each dinner when you sit down to your family, with your family every day, and and have uh, the father or the mother or the eldest son read the the scripture and the little read, the reflection and the prayer, and uh, pray as a family, and and then take your food. First, do all of that before you even put your food on the plate. And it, those little things, when we do them, really are life-changing. And they bring the family together. They change the whole complexion, the whole atmosphere. It's so, so beautiful. And so um, uh, let me remind you again that uh, this Friday, now that's tomorrow, beloved, that is tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> the uh, There's an article that I read on Monday from the National Catholic Register, but there are many, many articles now all over the internet that December 6th is to for every single one of us every single catholic all over the world is to be set aside as a day of prayer and penance and reparation even if you work even if you go to work definitely pray the rosary that day whatever else you do um, even if you can't pray it all at one time pray a decade in the morning another one at lunchtime whatever you can do and um, make some sort of penance, and it's also a day of fasting. So treat it at the very least like a Good Friday. Abstinence, no meat, and one meal maybe, and and two small little ones. Um, whatever you do is is between you and God. Uh, there's no law here, and there's no sin if you don't. There is a sin on Friday if you fail <clears throat> to make the Friday sacrifice, but... Um, there are four exorcists from Rome who have urged us. They know things that we don't, and they have urged us on December 6th, the day of St. Nicholas, tomorrow, um, to to pray and to fast and to make reparation and to pray the rosary, absolutely. And uh, it's in reparation, they have said in their article, it is in reparation for the sin committed at the Vatican by the Pachamama and idol pagan worship, uh, all that went on there in reparation for that, because the worship of idols is a very grave sin, and also in reparation for all the abuse that has gone on for so long, pedophilia, homosexuality, the abuse of seminarians, all of that. So tomorrow, uh, beloved, um, we're going to join arms with Catholics all over the world. You don't have to be a very strong Catholic. You just need to be a Catholic and do this. Um, uh, it, it's, it, 
it's the first time that I know of <clears throat> since I'm Catholic and I became Catholic in 1995. Um, we've been urged to pray the rosary. There have been national and international rosary rallies. <clears throat> I was part of one this past October. Um, uh, many things like that. But since at least 1995, since I entered the church, there's never been a um, a situation like this where we have simply not been asked but almost warned to make tomorrow a day of reparation and penance and fasting and prayer. So I, I, I can't urge you to do that more than giving you the same information that I and others have been given um, and to not take it lightly. Okay. Uh, yesterday, here at our priory at the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, um, we read the history of Advent at our refectory at our mealtime. <clears throat> and there's there are, there's a part here that we just stopped to take a breath because it was just so beautiful. So I'm going to read that to you. It's from uh, Dom Prosper Geringer's uh, The Liturgical Year, Volume 1, because Advent begins the year. It's our new year. And so I'm going to read it to you. It's just so beautiful, the history of, of Advent. And Dom Geringer writes, If, <clears throat> now that we've described the characteristic features of Advent, which distinguish it from the rest of the year. Now, he did that in the previous chapter, which is the um, history of Advent. And I'm not going to go through uh, all that with us, because it, it involves so much that... Um, that may not be as pertinent to us today. But um, uh, Dom Guerin says, now that we've covered that, we would penetrate into the profound mystery which occupies the mind of the Church during this season. We find that this mystery of the coming, or Advent, which is what, of course, Advent means, it's the coming of Jesus, is at once simple and threefold. It is simple, for it is the one same Son of God that is coming. It is threefold, because he comes at three different times and in three different ways. In the first coming, says St. Bernard, he comes in the flesh and in weakness. In the second coming, he comes in spirit and in power. And in the third, he comes in glory and in majesty. The second coming is the means whereby we pass from the first to the third. This, then, is the mystery of Advent. Let us now listen to the explanation of this threefold visit of Christ given to us by Peter of Blois in his third sermon, De Adventu, and that would translate in English as of Advent. And this quote uh, it's a, a a long paragraph full. I, I I found it just so so beautiful. Listen, Peter says, Saint Peter Peter of Blois says, there are three comings of our Lord: the first in the flesh, the second in the soul, the third in the judgment. The first was at midnight, according to those words of the gospel. At midnight there was a cry made, Lo, the bridegroom cometh. But this first coming 
is long since past, for Christ has been seen on the earth and has conversed among men. We are now in the second coming, provided only we are such as that he may thus come to us. For he has said that if we love him, he will come unto us, and we will take up his abode with us. He will come to us, and he will take up his abode with us, so that this second coming is full of uncertainty to us. For who, save the Spirit of God, knows them that are of God? They that are raised out of themselves by the desire of heavenly things know indeed when he comes. But whence he cometh, or whither he goeth, they know not. As for, I'm still quoting now, as for the third coming, it is most certain that it will be most uncertain when it will be. How do you like that? As of the third coming, it is most certain that it is uncertain when it will be. For nothing is more sure than death, and nothing less sure than the hour of death. When they shall say, peace and security, says the apostle, then shall sudden destruction come upon them, as the pains upon her that is with child, and they shall not escape. So that the first coming was humble and hidden. The second is mysterious and full of love. The third will be majestic and terrible. In his first coming, Christ was judged by men unjustly. In his second, he renders us just by his grace. And in his third, he will judge all things with justice. Listen to the last sentence now. In his first, a lamb. In his last, a lion. And in the one between the two, the tenderest of friends. End quote. I have goosebumps. He came first as a lamb to die for our sins, the lamb for sinners slain. He'll come again in his second coming as a lion to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead, to set up his kingdom. And in between the two, the first, the in-between brings us from the first to the third. In between the two, he is the tenderest of friends. Can you, my beloved family, if individually you do not know our Lord Jesus as the tenderest of friends, then you do not know him. I will tell you that. Then you know of him, but you do not know him. Um, you know, if I t- took an example of a woman who wanted to date a man, and uh, he wanted to date her, and... Um, people said, oh, stay away from him. He is just merciless. He is critical. He is, he's rough. Um, he doesn't know how to love. Um, you don't want him for, for, uh, to court or, or certainly not to marry. Well, then they fall in love and they marry. And because of what he truly is, and she truly loves him, and she discovers his love, she says to her friends, and, and they may say to her, how can you marry? How do you stay married to that man? What must it be like? And she'll say to him, oh, you don't know him at all. You know of him, but you don't know him. He is the tenderest of friends. 
He is, um, he's a lamb. He is as sweet and gentle as can be, and yet he would lay down his life for me and his family. And don't, don't do him wrong because no one's going to get by him. But he is a protector. He is the tenderest of lovers. You see, if you know Christ, you will know him as the tenderest of friends, the most beloved, the most loving, the most forgiving and merciful God, and yet loving us too much to not correct us and chastise us and make us like himself. If you say, well, why did he do this? And then why did he allow this? And why this? And how come I'm this? And how come that happened? Well, I don't have the answers to all those things. But if you blame God for it, you're blaming a God that you've made up in your own mind. It's not the God of, it's not our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're complaining that he hasn't done this or he has done that and all of, where is he in my life? I've been out of a job for three years. If you blame that on God, you don't know God. You're blaming it on a God of your own imagining. And that may be very well why God has allowed the trials, because he wants you to come to your absolute bottom and give up and come to him humbly and ask his forgiveness and ask him to do whatever he wills in your life. And then you will discover the incredible God that he is that loved you and gave himself for you. That's the kind of God he is. The one who went to the cross out of love for you when we deserve death and he took our death that we could have life with him. Let me continue here and let me remind you too that we will take your calls, your emails, your texts right after the first break, which won't be long from now. Um, Toll-free number to call in anytime, anonymously or with your name, with anything on your heart is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or um, you could text at that number or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. We'll take your calls and emails just a few minutes after the break. <clears throat> Let me continue with this beautiful, beautiful mystery of Advent. The Holy Church, therefore, during Advent, awaits in tears and with ardor the arrival of her Jesus in his first coming. For this she borrows the fervid expressions of the prophets to which she joins her own supplications. These longings for the Messiah expressed by the church are not a mere commemoration of the desires of the ancient Jewish people. They have a reality and efficacy of their own an influence Um, in the great act of God's munificence, whereby he gave us his own son. And I can can second those words. In my Jewish home, we waited for him every Passover, every year. We waited for the Messiah to come, bring us to Jerusalem, set up his kingdom, rule and reign, uh, bring peace to the earth. We waited for him. But then one day, as you know, many of you know, I found that he did come 2,000 years ago, and he came as a lamb, who was slaughtered for our sin according to the old law the lamb of lambs and rose from the dead to give life to all who will come to him and the second coming will be the one that the prophets prophets spoke of both comings of course 
but the second one was spoken of more so, uh, the setting up his, his kingdom, the destro- destruction of his enemies. That will come. And now I don't long for him to come to uh, destroy his enemies and all of that because I was among his enemies. <clears throat> I didn't know him. I lived in sin like everyone else, not like everyone else, maybe worse than everyone else. I don't know that. <clears throat> But he came and he saved me. He put his life within me. He gave me a new heart, a heart of flesh, no, no longer a heart of stone. And I'm a new creation. And I don't want him to come to put anyone to death. I want him to come to save everyone, which means everyone needs to come to him to receive his love. He cannot do anything more for you. He can, he can do what he wants, but he's already done all there is to do for you to bow before him and worship him and give him your life. So I long for him, even at Christmas, to come as a little babe, knowing that he already came and knowing that he'll come again. But I, I will never get used to the story of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who no one could look on and live, and yet he became man and took flesh and blood from the from the Virgin Mary, and became one of us to die the death that was to be our death, that we caused. So uh, Don Garanger says, these longings for the Messiah expressed by the church are not a mere commemoration of the desires of the ancient Jewish people. They have a reality and efficacy of their own and influence in the great act of God's munificence whereby he gave us his own son. From all eternity, the prayers of the ancient Jewish people and the prayers of the Christian church ascended together to the prescient hearing, prescient hearing of God. And it was after receiving and granting them that he sent in the appointed time that the blessed, that blessed dew upon the earth, which made it bud forth the Savior. <clears throat> the dew God sent through the angels in the Old Testament was the manna that fed the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness, the bread from heaven. And now we have the dew of heaven, the real bread of God, the bread of God that gives us himself as our very food in the Eucharist. Dom Garanger goes on to say, the church aspires also to the second coming, the consequence of the first, which consists, as we have just seen, in the visit of the bridegroom to the bride. This coming takes place each year at the Feast of Christmas, when the new birth of the Son of God delivers the faithful from that yoke of bondage under which the enemy would oppress them and has oppressed them for all these years. The church, therefore, during Advent, prays that she may be visited by him who is her head and her spouse, visited in her hierarchy, visited in her members, of whom some are living, moi, and you if you are listening. And if you have the Lord Jesus Christ in you, through his church, you have been baptized. You are part of his body, 
um, that he's living in you as well. Of whom some are living and some are dead, but may come to life again. The church is comprised of her members on earth, as you know, the church militant, and in purgatory, the church suffering, and in heaven, the church triumphant. Visited, lastly, in those who are not in communion with her, and even in the very infidels, so that they may be converted to the true light, which shines even for them. Beloved, the little babe in the manger that I used to see in store windows in New York, I used to despise that scene. I loved all the, as a Jewish young lady, I loved the Christmas time and the feeling that the lights and the warmth and the tree in Rockefeller Center, I remember, and the Santa's on street corners and the Salvation Army bells and gift giving and the whole humanity seemed to be at one at that time. The only thing I could not stand is the scene of the baby in the manger because I knew that baby was a human being and I used to cringe to say how could any parent how could any responsible parent allow their child to worship that baby a man i will never cease to get over the fact that that baby is god and that he is my god and that he is my lord and that he is the jewish messiah and that he is the god of abraham isaac and jacob who in an act of unbelievable love, unfathomable love, became man for us through a virgin and rose and died for us and then rose from the dead to give us life. There's no way to get over that. I'm not, I'm not over it. I'm not used to it. I don't want to be. And now when I see the scenes of the manger at Christmas time and church lawns and people's homes, my heart melts every time. But I get a little upset when I see the baby placed in the manger before Christmas Eve because it destroys the story. He comes on Christmas Eve. That's what the Feast of Christmas is about. He doesn't come before Christmas. He doesn't come during Advent. And all the scenes with the baby in the manger that you see this day, these days, they have no idea what they're doing. and then by the time Christmas comes, it's over. It's over. All the parties during Advent, all the lit Christmas trees, the lit homes, the babies in the manger, uh, the gifts, all that. And Christmas comes, and the, the next day, it's cold, and the lights are out, and people who have no hope commit suicide, more so at that time than any other time of the year. Because they have no hope. Because they see what is external. And they long for it to be internal and they don't know how to get there. So I'm telling you, beloved, if you're one of those, even if you're a Catholic, you may have never really known Jesus. Get on your knees. Fall on your knees and beg him to make himself known to you. And for this to be even the first true Christmas of your life. We are going to have our Christmas newsletter. I'll just tell you this. Let me, let me mark this page so I can get back to it properly. 
um, our Christmas newsletter is at the printer today, and it will be in the mail about a week and a half from now. And I, it's going to be a, a package this time, not just an envelope, because I've I've mentioned that there's a a gift for everyone in there, and it's a uh, it's it's actually a DVD, um, and it's it's very important, and it's very special. And it's a very expensive gift, and it was donated to us. And the, the, we're going to have a, a big postage expense, but the gift was donated to us, and we can't wait to get it to you. Um, but the email will go out without the DVD, of course, by email. will go out um, uh, probably by this weekend. So those of you who, um, who receive the uh, our... Uh, Christmas newsletter by email. Um, a good, probably most of you receive it by email and snail mail. So if you get it by snail mail, you'll get the DVD. You'll get the full newsletter. But if you receive it by email, you'll still get the package in the mail if we have your snail mail address. But um, uh, I want you to open it up to the first story, Waiting for the Christ Child, and read it right away. And do as much as you can in your homes this Advent to copy that story. It is exquisitely beautiful. There's the music and uh, for um, our first break, beloved. So again, call in with anything on your heart, toll free or text one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at thestationofthecross dot com. And we'll be right back. Tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern Time for Sermons for Everyday Living, a program that brings you real sermons from real priests on topics important to you and your faith. Visit thestationofthecross.com for details. Are you having a hard time keeping up with all that's going on these days in the Vatican? Did you know that LifeSite puts out a monthly print news magazine in beautiful, full color? Our magazine, Faithful Insight, gives you all the most important coverage from Rome and lets you read it away from the computer, phone, or tablet. It summarizes dozens of new happenings down to the essentials, but provides full analysis on all the most important developments. Faithful Insight brings you the coverage of the Vatican that you know and expect from LifeSight in a different form. It has received high praise from cardinals, bishops, priests, and faithful who want to stay abreast of the most crucial battle in our time, the battle for the soul of the church. Subscribe today at faithfulinsight.com and may God bless you. During the Advent and Christmas seasons, the Station of the Cross is blessed to bring you special programming that celebrates the birth of our Lord. Help other drivers learn about the true meaning of this time of year by promoting Catholic Radio. Order your free bumper magnets at thestationofthecross.com. Just click on the Promote tab at the top of our website. We'd be happy to send bumper magnets for your listening area so that others can come to know the Lord. That's thestationofthecross.com and click on the Promote tab. Thank you for sharing Catholic Radio on the road. 
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you. This is our half hour together, so you please feel free to call in with anything at all on your heart. It doesn't need to be what we're speaking about. It's The issue is what's on your heart. Again, with your name or anonymous, toll-free, or text one eight seven seven five one one. 5483 or email at mother at We have an email from Josh. Um, actually, uh, Josh wrote this in yesterday and we didn't have time to get to it. Josh says, Dear Mother, like Cole mentioned in his email, I too am disturbed about the commercial commercialization of Christmas. And so yesterday, Cole wrote in about the commercializ- commerci- commercialization of Christmas. Um, so Josh write, wrote in on the heels of that commenting, and Josh says, with that said, we have all heard Christmas music that is secular. As a musician, I do feel there are appropriate ones and ones that I do feel go against Jesus, including but not limited to those that talk about or even idolize Santa. When we celebrate Christmas, where do we draw the line when it comes to singing Christmas carols? I may have already given you the answer straight, but I still would like your advice on this matter. God bless you, Mother. He says, I offer my rosaries this Friday for those who greatly secularize Christmas. That's a good thing, Josh, but please, especially this Friday, offer it in reparation for the sins committed uh, with the idol worship at the Vatican. It's very, very, very important. Uh, it's to make reparation, especially this Friday, for all the paganism that has gone on at the Vatican with Pachamama and also in reparation for all the abuse that's gone on sexually in the church. Um, I would draw the line, I think you're right, what you've already outlined, um, if music does not speak about the meaning of Christmas, then then just don't use it, don't play it. You can play radio music and then you have no choice. But if you choose DVDs and you choose CDs, the same thing with television. I would want to suggest that everyone disconnect their, tele- their TVs and only show videos. I know you can watch EWTN safely, but... Uh, then you're tempted for other things, um, or the children are tempted for other things. You can get uh, v- DVDs from EWTN and have them at home as well. So, um, uh, so where do you draw the line? The same way you draw the line in all of life. Everything we read, everything we look at, it doesn't need to speak of Jesus, but... It needs to not speak of anything that would be against him or exclude him. And so especially in a holy feast day like Christmas and the Advent season leading up to it, the whole Advent season is a preparation for the coming of the Son of God. And so... um, 
if you want to sing Jingle Bells with your children, you can do that. But they need to know who St. Nicholas is. In fact, I did get this out today for, for you all, and I suggest if you don't have it and you want to listen to Jingle Bells um, and your children to be able to sing that, that sweet little cute song, uh, Jingle All the Way, uh, I forget, uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, whatever it is, show them this. This is the man who was really Santa Claus. The Man Who Was Really Santa Claus by Reverend Daniel A. Lord, S.J. The Man Who Was Really Santa Claus. I may have read this yesterday. I I don't recall now. And the back cover, it has an imprimatur from the church. It's 1954, beautifully illustrated. It's for your whole family, including your little children. And the back description on the back cover is, Learn all about the man who was really Santa Claus. Learn the truth that there really was a Santa Claus, that the real Santa was a great Catholic bishop, and his name was Saint Santa Nicholas Klaus. Santa Klaus, that's how it came to be. His name was Saint Nicholas. Learn about, as he's a saint, learn about how an infamous poem changed the custom of an entire world. Learn all about his history, his tradition, his legend, his death, his story, and how it all started. With so much to learn about this wonderful saint, it is easy to see how the whole world loved St. Nicholas. So if you wish to play some of the songs and music that uh, have to do with not idolizing Santa, but uh, the generosity of the heart of St. Nicholas, uh, you can, you certainly do that, but your children must know who he is, uh, that he's not a fairy tale uh, figure made up. Um, and then, uh, let me see, uh, so that's what that I, I would say. Frosty the Snowman, I, I think children know that it's he's a cartoon and, and we've personalized a, a, a big snowman. I don't personally see harm in that. As long as you teach your children, if you're a truly Catholic family, you can teach them all that. And they know that. Uh, And you can say, children, is this uh, uh, Frosty the Snowman? Is he real? Does he have a heart like you? Does he, or do we make him up? We make him up. We know that, but it's fun. And, and your children could go out in the, if you have snow in your area where you live, and they can make a big, big snowman, and they can put a carrot for his nose and a, a broom in his hand. They can do whatever they want and let them put a, a sacred heart badge on his chest or something. Make him Catholic. You know, just everything, everything um, should be referenced to Christ. Every single thing. So make a Catholic Frosty the Snowman, Catholic gingerbread cookies, whatever it is. Um, put a little cross on them. Uh, let your family have a lot of fun. Don't, don't throw out good cultural things. Um, but if they, again, if it's a matter of idolization and people think that um, the gifts came from Santa Claus under their tree, that's not good. They need to know that the gifts are from God through their parents and through the generosity that's become culture and a custom through this glorious St. Nicholas. Okay, we had a call off the line yesterday from John from Rochester who says, did the Pope have any comments 
in regard to that statue that was thrown into the Tiber River. Well, he did. Um, and uh, I don't want to give his comments out at the moment over the air, but you can certainly look that up on the news. Um, uh, LifeSite News is the best pro-life uh, resource uh, on the face of the earth, as far as I'm concerned. And they have reported on that. So simply look up Pachamama and the Pope's comments, and you will find them. There's the music for our second break, beloved. Um, and this would be a perfect time to call in uh, before our last segment, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We'll be right back. If you're new to iCatholic Radio, welcome to the free mobile app of the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. It's available for download on your Android and Apple mobile devices. If you have any questions about your new app, please contact us at thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. Through your new app, you can listen to podcasts of shows, conference talks, and prayers. View our programming grid, call us directly, and check out our mobile website. You can even learn how you can promote iCatholic Radio in your community. Connect with us through social media and financially support the programming you love. That's all available on your iCatholic Radio mobile app. Thank you for joining our iCatholic Radio family, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the Internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you. We have just a little over 15 minutes left and still time for you to give a call in if you wish. Toll free, 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. We have a text from Christina who says, Hello, Mother. My name is Christina and I have two children under the age of three. 
<clears throat> my husband and I are concerned about helping our children to stay Catholic in this fallen world. We see many older parents around us who are God-fearing, but whose children have left the faith. We are going to homeschool, but I still worry about how to excite the love for God in my children. I feel inadequate for this task and will take any advice from you. Thank you for being there for us young families. We need more religious and clergy in this ministry. Christina, I don't know that you can excite a love for God in your children. What you can is excite a love for truth in your children, and God is truth. I remember when I was going through school, there were subjects that I just didn't, you know, were a little boring for me, and I wasn't so excited, but I had to learn. It was a bit of a chore. But I remember one of those subjects, I got a teacher one day who was so, not just knowledgeable, but enthusiastic. He loved it. And it, it, the whole subject came alive. And I said, my, what does he love? There must be something here. And he, he made it alive. And for the first time, history was, was great for me. Um, that's what's needed, Christina. Right now, from the womb on, you need to be excited about God, excited about your faith. They need to see you praying. They need to see you adoring God. They need to see you loving him. Homeschooling begins from the womb, right through. It doesn't begin at kindergarten or first grade. It's from the womb. It's not just a matter of scholastic studies, of course. It is, it's more a sense of identity. Your children need to know who they are and whose they are. And I can tell you this, I've said it before, we, when we grew up in our home, we had a real sense of identity. We knew who we were. We knew we were Jewish, not that was our religion. That was that we meant that we were the people of God. Why we? How do we get to be so lucky? How did, Kai, I don't know, I don't know. How did I get that? I don't know. But it's our people. And we are God's people. And we felt so privileged and we were definitely in the world and not of it, yet I never knew those expressions. But we, I would walk to school, even with Catholic children and other school, other children and do things, but we were different. We, we knew we were different, whether we participated in everything or not. We knew who we were, and uh, it was inward. And so whatever we learned was part of who we were, and our frame of reference was not the world. It was our people, our God. And we weren't the most religious family in the world, but it was instilled in us. So if you instill in your children that you, they, you're not a religion Catholic versus something else. You're the very people of God. In my Jewish home, we knew that they were, the rest of the world was not Jewish. We didn't know what they were. We just they weren't Jewish. They were all kinds of things. They had nothing to do with us. We knew who we were. We knew who God was. Your children have to be raised that way. They need to know that you are chosen. They are chosen by God. We are God. There's only one God. And that God demonstrated his love for us so much that he sent his son to earth. And he died for us. Why did he do that? 
Because we are the ones that should have been put to death. Why, Mom? I didn't do anything wrong. Oh, yes, you did. What do you mean? How? What? What? It, and you begin to tell them the story with little felt diagrams and little children's uh, materials. You begin to tell them the story of original sin and how we all deserve death. And we are the people of God, and he's freed us from death and hell. And we need to live as the children of God more than anyone else on the face of the earth because we have more than anything else, anyone else on the face of the earth. We have more than non-Catholic Christians. We have more than the Jewish people. We have their very Messiah. We have all the sacraments. We have all the grace of God. We have all the means of heaven. We have the very God himself living in us. We have more than everyone. You're children, and you need to live it. You li- need to live it. As you walk, as you drive the street, your little three-year-old say, look at sweetheart, who made that tree? You know, God made that tree. Who is God? He's the one who made you, and he loves you. That's God. And it, go through life saying, isn't God good? And it rains one day. You need umbrellas and say, you know, sweetheart, the only way that tree could be there is because God rained and he watered the whole earth from heaven because he loves us so much. See, just bring God into everything, into your family. Let them hear you say to your husband, sweetheart, God bless you. Let them see that. And again, I repeat the words of Archbishop Chapu, the greatest gift a husband can give his children is to love their mother. And conversely, the greatest gift a mother can give her children is to love their father. Children learn what they see. If they see love, they will learn love. If you love them and the father is absent or the father loves them and the mother is absent, they will never learn love. They learn love if they see love. And if a child sees parents hugging and kissing in the kitchen, they will know that they're loved and they will know that they are secure. It's a beautiful thing. So that's how you keep them Catholic. That's how you instill in them a love of God. And if they love God, um, so you say your, your, your married, older parents around us are God-fearing. They may be God-fearing, but you don't know if they feared God enough to raise their children fully and truly Catholic. I don't know if they prayed at home. No day should go by without your husband gathering the family, the children for prayer. Not a single day. Not a single day should go by where both of you don't tuck them in uh, at night and bless them as they go to sleep and come together in the morning before Papa leaves for work and at least pray a Hail Mary and let him bless them before he leaves the house. And bless you too, Mom. He needs to bless you. The children need to see that. You won't have any problem. You won't. You won't. Don't let an unholy word come out of your mouth. And don't watch anything that's not Catholic. Don't let the TV be your babysitter. Throw that TV out. Be a family at home. Read together at night. Okay. We have a call on the line from Joan. Are you there, dear Joan? Yes, I am. Hi. Uh, First of all, I want to let you know, I threw my TV out. Okay. All right. Now, ah, one, ta-da. I wish I had a bell on this end to ring. I'll get one tomorrow. It, Terrific. It, isn't it? It's the greatest. Now, I wanted to uh, say if you can help me. I have um, 
six children. I have one particular child who tried to almost commit suicide three times. One time he he, uh, did his wrist and he drove himself to the hospital. But what I am, um, he's always asking for money from me. I just sold the house. I do have the money. I could give him. I've already given him almost 50000 to fix his, to get, get him out of his debt, but he wants more now. Um, my other five kids are looking on, you know, naturally. If I How old is this them, boy, Joan? How old is he? He's um, uh, 45. And he's living on his own? He, ha- he bought a house. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, living All right. with his girlfriend and whatever. He's what? He's living with his girlfriend and he has a son. Okay. Um, he's not a drug addict or an alcoholic? Um, his girlfriend is. Does he work? But he's not. He works, yes. And but he the, only makes, uh-huh. doesn't make enough to support himself, that's right. How many hours a week does he work? He works 50. Can you get a second job or a job that pays more? Um, well, not particularly because okay. he has once he has this son. He's got to watch because he's responsible for him. You know. Mm-hmm. Is this the son of the woman he's living with? Uh, yeah, but she's on drugs, so she comes mm-hmm. and she goes. Okay, Joan, tell your son you will not give him another single penny. It's not a matter of what you have or don't. $50,000 to get him out of debt is enough. He has chosen to live in sin. He has chosen his lifestyle. And he's going to have to make some choices. Not another penny. Because you're giving a terrible example to your other children. And you are not helping your son. If you give him another penny, Joan, you're an unfit mother. He's 45 years old. He must learn the consequences of his choices. And if he bought a house and his, his salary is not enough to support it, then he needs to find a job to support it, or he needs to take a second job, or he needs to sell the home and rent a place, and rent a very modest place. They could all live in one room. I've done it. Uh, we've done it with our family, lived in one room together while we needed to. So um, not another penny, Joan. Um, you know, it, it, you know something, when I, when I have done without, it hurts so much that I can't tolerate anybody doing it without. Well, you, what you're, gonna, you're ruining his life is what you're doing. I guess. You're ruining his but life, Joan. That's why a lot of children are ruined. Because their mothers can't tolerate not giving to them. A mother is a mother is a mother. I, you, you never lose your mother's heart, but you need to start being a mother that's going to help him, not destroy him. Yeah. Okay, well, I respect your opinion, so I'm going to try. I don't say I'm going to do it, but I'm going to try. Well, I, then you I, won't I do it. About it. Then you won't do it. I know it. Then you will not do it. And what's happening is that you love yourself and your love of your son more than you love your son. That's what's happening. Because love does what's best for someone. 
they don't enable them to continue to live in sin. Okay. What you're doing is keeping him from heaven. Yeah. Would you rather continue to, to give him money because of your own weakness and let him spend eternity in hell, Joan? No. Well, that's what you're doing if you give him any more money. Yeah. I hear you. Okay, I know. If you say you try, it won't happen. I'm telling you that. It will not happen. Yeah. You've tried before. It will not happen. Yeah, I've tried before. Yeah. I know it. I know it. You need to stop because you're killing your son. That's not love. Yeah. All right. If you worry what your son thinks of you, that's very, very selfish. You should be worrying about his soul. Okay. Okay, okay, I'm going to take another caller, sweetheart. We have a call off the line from someone who says, our parish is going to start an alpha program. What do you know and think of the program? I think that no parish, no one should have alpha. It is strictly Protestant. It may say alpha for Catholics. It's just the enemy's tool. Um, it's Protestant. And any parish that takes on the Alpha program, any diocese that takes on the Alpha program, is is abandoning their flock, abandoning their sheep to Protestantism. That's what you're doing. So absolutely not Alpha. Not It could say Alpha for Catholics because Protestants want the whole world to be Protestant and not Catholic. There, it, you try to find in that program the, where it says the church, the Catholic Church is the church Christ established. Try to find anything on the Blessed Mother. Try to find all the sacraments, all of that confession. You won't find it. And you say, at least you learn the Bible. No, you won't. You will learn Protestant thinking and Protestant doctrine and a Protestant way of interpreting the Bible, which they got from the Catholic Church and messed up. So no, absolutely zero on Alpha. You're going to do more harm than good because maybe your people will start learning Scripture, but they will be Protestant. Um, It's not just a doctrinal matter, it's a way of seeing, and they will be Protestant. So I, I beg you to do everything you can to not use that Alpha program. There is the music for the end of the program, beloved. Um, And we will speak with you tomorrow. And again, beloved, tomorrow is our day of prayer and penance and reparation for every single Catholic to pray to heal the idolatry and debauchery and sin within the church. God bless you, and we'll speak with you tomorrow.